Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. You guys are simply those who make this possible. Thank you so much for the five-star reviews. Let me get that in right off the top because much to the delight of you, I don't think I said it a single time the other day. So five-star reviews, keep them coming. We are somewhere in like the 840s or 850s. I'm going to get to 1,000. I've made that very clear. I want 1,000 minimum five-star reviews before the end of the season. But if you want to do it before the end of the day, I'm not mad at it. By all means, you live your life the way you want to, just as long as it includes dropping a five-star review every now and then. Steal your sister's phone. Steal your grandma's phone. Do the same thing. Just make sure you give it back afterwards. This is all Q&A. It's wall-to-wall. You know how it works. You submit the questions, joshpate706 at gmail.com or in the DMs on Twitter at LateKickJosh. It's college football and beyond, which to be honest with you, would probably be a better name for this podcast than what we call it. Jordan, Tani, I hope you're writing that down, by the way. So we've got some good stuff this morning. I also want to remind you, we've got Late Kick Live coming up tonight on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. The other night, I got to be honest with you, I was very proud of our effort because we, we were finding out as the day went on, this game's postponed, that game's postponed. And Tuesday night, as you may well know, is prediction night for us. So we had our entire show stacked, and then all of a sudden our show wasn't stacked because all the games were gone, and so then we just had to talk about stuff, and that's where your background in radio really, really comes in handy. Because if you're doing 4 to 7 p.m. drive time, like I did for a little while, there are many times you get to 5.35, 5.40 in the afternoon, and you're just kind of tapped out in terms of content, and you still got an hour, 15, hour, 20 left to go, and so either the callers have to carry you to the finish line or you just got to do it the old-fashioned way and come up with stuff to talk about. And that was kind of the Tuesday night show, but I thought it went really well. Uh, you guys contributed, as you always do, because after all, it is your show. And so we made it there, and we'll figure out a way tonight. I think we'll have some good stuff for you tonight. I think we got some good stuff for you this morning, too. Again, thank you for listening. And I'm going to kick it off with James, but I might as well kick it off with about 15, 20 of you. It seems like 100 at this point, who have asked a question about Hugh Freeze. And where is he going to go? Where is Hugh Freeze going to be? Now, it's just assumed, and I should note this at the beginning, it's just assumed that Hugh Freeze is coaching his last days at Liberty. But you probably saw the news yesterday. If you didn't, Hugh Freeze signed a contract extension with Liberty through 2026. Now, those of you who have watched college football and watched the business side of it for a little while now, you probably know that that means little to nothing in terms of whether he'll be on the move at the end of this year. I guess what it does is, if we're going to be cynical, is it probably builds in a nice little payout window, a nice little buyout window, I guess you could call it, for Liberty whenever whoever comes calling for Hugh Free. So if it is fill-in-the-blank university or fill-in-the-blank state, you, they're going to have to pay Liberty some cash to get Hugh Freeze out of that contract, and they will. 
they'll have no problem doing it. They expect to do it. That's the expectation. When you go after a big coach, you're going to have to pay his buyout these days. So there's that. Now, as for the question James and an entire army of you asked, where is he going to go? There are assumptions anywhere from Tennessee being on the table, which I don't think is the case, to South Carolina, which is a little more realistic, uh, but I'm going to I'm going to attack it from a different angle in a second. Uh, let's see. Auburn, I had someone bring up Auburn. To my knowledge, Gus Malzahn is still fine there. And then there's an interesting new proposal out there, and a lot more of you have picked up on this, and that's Michigan. Michigan started to gain some traction. Now, let's remember the past with Hugh Freeze. It is not without reproach. It is a little bit checkered. And let's also remember typically the kind of hire that Michigan wants to make. You got to button that sweater vest really tight to get that job at Michigan. Just typically, just putting it out there. You guys know it to be true. Some of you hate that it is true, but you know it to be true. So where could he be going? Well, I do want to share this. I, on the Sunday night show, was very, very emphatic, and I still am for the record. I haven't backed off my stance in general on this, that you really need to understand how to properly weigh the risk-reward. If you're an athletic director and the decision is solely in your hands, so if, you're, if your administration is on board and if the faculty and president and all, if you've gotten the proper signatures and everyone's on board and it's really just about you and you're making your decision, but you got the cash backing and you, you got the vote of confidence, you need to understand properly how to weigh risk-reward. I think a lot of ADs today are not like ADs of the past. Today, athletic directors, in some cases, not all, elevated to their position, not because they were the best athletics man or woman, not because they ever played or coached, not that that's a necessity, but these days, some of them elevated to the position they have because they were the best fundraiser, and they were the best at being able to generate cash, and that's great. I mean, you got to have it, but... That inherently means they are non-risk takers. They don't like it. They recoil at the very notion of taking risk. And so anytime there's risk, they go, I don't want that. I don't want to do that. And so Hugh Freeze inherently carries some risk or at least some perceived risk. I think the reward so much outweighs the risk. If you were listening to the Sunday night show, I was talking about Jaws, and I was talking about the scene in Jaws where everyone's on the beach, but no one wants to go in the water, and the mayor is saying, why aren't you in the water? Now, I, was, I was letting my uh, suntan lotion set in. Please go in the water. And so finally, everyone goes in the water, and everyone wanted to go in the water. They were just waiting for someone else to be the first one. Well, at least those people had something to really be scared of. There was a shark out there, after all, and they were smart enough to know it, even if the mayor wasn't smart enough to know it. But he was acting in the best interest of the town. Amity, as you know, means friendship. What is the shark here? What is the real fear that an athletic director may have? Let me tell you what the actual real fear is. When you look under the bed, you open the dark closet, or in this case, you go out into the ocean, you realize the boogeyman or the monster or the shark is actually just some negative press clippings and some uh, maybe a few high-level boosters rubbed the wrong way. But as long as you have the right ones on your side, that doesn't matter. And it'll all be solved once Hugh Free starts winning in like week two of year one under his tenure and his regime at your school. I was doing a radio hit with the guys in Knoxville yesterday, uh, Trey Wallace and those guys at Fox Sports in Knoxville. And they asked, uh, well, what do you think, man? Because like if, if Hugh Freeze takes a job the first day 
it's going to be a really embarrassing press conference because people are going to be asking about, you know, burner phones and paying recruits in the past and all of kind of the, the seedy underbelly of, of Hugh Freeze's tenure at Ole Miss. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. Not if you beat them to it, though. What you do is, again, we talk about it all the time with coaches who are currently at major programs who keep losing. And what do I say? The first thing they do is they run to the nearest microphone and they start practicing their PR 101 techniques that they get taught in the offseason. Remember, remember, coach, they only chase as long as you run. So just lay down, take the baseball bat, lay down, and then, and then beat yourself in the head with it. And they'll look around puzzled and say, wait, that's our job. Oh, 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 I guess we'll just ask about the game instead. That's why you hear coaches constantly walk to the podium after games and say, hey, we got out coached today. Let me tell you something. We got out physical, almost like they're proud of it. We 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 just got circles running around us. We got out hustled. We got out whipped. We got out blocked and out tackled. Hey, I hope the fans are pissed off. They should be pissed off. Yeah, I heard that two times last week alone. So if you're Hugh Freeze, why would you handle your introductory press conference any different? You step up, you say, I'm a flawed man. I'll be the first to admit it. And we're going to build a program full of flawed individuals. But together, collectively, I think we can achieve something that in terms of result is much greater than the sum of individual flawed parts. And I got to promise you something. And there's no way you can know this for certain. I don't have that written down here anywhere. And that was a one-take recording. So now that I think about it more thoroughly... I probably should be in the business of coaching higher speech writing. It's a very nuanced, very niche-based industry. But I'm not so sure I wouldn't be great at it because I just shoveled that right into this microphone. And I think some of you may have even bought it. So anyway, picture Hugh Freeze doing that. Picture Hugh Freeze being totally accountable and totally atoning for all of his past misdeeds and misgivings and misgivings, mistakes. Do you really think that reporters are still going to hammer on him for the next six months? And and then ask yourself this, if he starts winning, are they really going to do that? I don't think they are. I don't think they are at all. And secondly, what does it matter if they do? What does it matter if you're winning and if the players believe in him and if players are coming to play for him, what does it matter? What is the real risk? I uh, I looked up statistics and I found out that Bad headlines kill 0.00 people per year. The next one will be the first one. It's kind of like ghosts. Ghosts and negative headlines kill 0.00 people per year. So that was a real long tangent. And to be honest with you, I have no clue what I was even talking about when I started. But let me circle back around. So now we've at least addressed proper risk-reward ratio. I don't know that the SEC is going to be an option for him. That's why when I'm hearing from South Carolina, I'm hearing from Tennessee or Auburn, uh, I, I went a Sunday night. I remember where I was now. Sunday night, I was very emphatic that that should be the mentality. But then you notice I said the caveat there, if it's in your hands as an athletic director. Well, listen, if um, you're handcuffed by maybe powers that be above your pay grade that are telling you, hey, this is not an option. It could be your university president says no. It could be your board of regents, uh, seven to three vote no, or What if someone at the league office is telling you no-go? Whatever the case may be, there are a lot of people, and I don't have firsthand knowledge of this, but I'm telling you there are a lot of people in the know who believe that that may be the case in the SEC in general, at least through the next year. So if that is the case, then you got to ask yourself a couple more questions. 
where does Hugh Freeze really want to be, the first one? And if he wants to be in the SEC, I don't see why he wouldn't be willing to wait out whatever that edict is, and maybe he just hangs out at Liberty another year. But if he's itching to get out of there, or maybe he's not itching to get out of there, but he can't pass up a really good opportunity. Now, what what if, just pulling a name out of the blue, no pun intended, what if that Michigan job came open, and what if they actually offered Hugh Freeze? Now, I would have a hard time seeing it. Now, if I were a Michigan fan, I'd love it. Don't get me wrong. But when I know the culture there and I look at Hugh Freeze, the first two words that come to my mind aren't exactly Michigan man, if you know what I mean. So I don't know. Maybe he just hangs out at Liberty another year. Or maybe, like I said, he wants to take the biggest opportunity. And maybe the biggest opportunity comes in the form of a job that's not in the SEC. And maybe you wanted him if you're at South Carolina, let's say, but you have to watch him go elsewhere. Well, that wouldn't be the funnest day in the world, would it? But the guy can coach. There is no doubt about it. There's no doubting that. And so at this point, the assumption generally uh, amongst obviously the inbox, but also amongst people kind of inside that business, inside that world of coaching hires and coaching rumors, the assumption is Hugh Freeze will be on the move, if not now, then next year at the very latest. The questions, though, James, and those of you elsewhere who asked, the questions very much still remain as to where he could be available and also where jobs will be available for him to potentially land. All right, Jody's next up. She asked a question the other day. It was the last one, and for some reason I had it folded on the back of a piece of paper. Therefore, I didn't get to it. So instead of throwing that piece of paper away, Jody, here it is, and here is your question. It's still every bit as relevant today as it was Tuesday. She said, what is the thing that has changed the most for you about this season? Well, Jody, easily, the part that's changed the most for me is I haven't been to a game this season, and I'm normally at one every Saturday, which is, as much as it's turned Saturday upside down, strangely, Friday has been the most different for me. So keep in mind, this is my first year at 24-7. Up until this point, I had been down in Columbus. Now, whereas I had been doing the independent version of Late Kick down there, So if you live in, say, North Carolina, that's the only time you would have seen me. I was also a news anchor in Columbus, but I also, before that, was a sports director there. So I still had my hand in the local sports scene, and I shot high school football down there. So it was a very hectic time, anywhere from Thursday night through Sunday night. Those those days go by like a blur during the season, because Thursday night, you have high school football. So you're shooting your high school games on Thursday night. Then you come in Friday, and you're getting ready for a full night of Friday night high school football. For us, that would mean, at a minimum, two games. Sometimes you'd have to shoot three games. And the deadline you're on, the crunch, everybody who's ever worked in a newsroom understands what I'm talking about here. The crunch on a Friday night is unlike anything you've ever seen before. You are out the door as soon as you get off the air for your 6 p.m. newscast. And you are trying to grab food, but you're probably not going to. Hopefully a press box somewhere has some. So you get to your first game. I used to always go to Callaway High School. Anytime Callaway High School was home, that's where Tank Bigsby played, who is the current Auburn running back starting as a true freshman. I'd always go up there if they were playing a home game first. Number one, because it was the furthest school away from our home office. Number two, because they were notorious for scoring on their opening drive. So I would hope to get an opening drive score from them because you got to get out of your first game in 10 to 15 minutes. You got to go up there. You got to get some highlight shot. And then I would probably have to head across the river over into Alabama. It's right on the Chattahoochee River to catch the 8 p.m. Eastern time kickoffs over there. 
So the way they do it, they stagger it. The Georgia games kick off at 7.30 Eastern, and then the Alabama games kick off at 8 o'clock Eastern or 7 Central, their time. So you got to get a couple, maybe three games shot. Then you got to get back to the studio. You got to edit. You got to cut them. You got to stack them. You got to write them. You got to label them, as I like to call it. But that's a really old school way of saying put lower thirds on everything. And then you got to stack it in the rundown. You got to get all that done before you go on the air at 11 o'clock. So that's really fun. And then you leave the studio and you're totally exhausted. But you know, in a regular season, you're about to be up at like 4 a.m. the next morning because you're driving to Tuscaloosa or Baton Rouge, or maybe if you're lucky for me, Auburn, which is just 45 minutes back then, or Knoxville, Athens, whatever. And so you're going there and you're going to be all day there and you're not getting out of there until way after the sun goes down and you're not getting home until way after midnight. And so then you finally get to sleep, but then you wake up, you get to church the next morning, and then you get home and you stack your show for Sunday night, and then you go do your Sunday night show. And then finally, when you drive home, or maybe a taxi takes you home because you feel too sleep impaired to drive, then finally you decompress. That's a normal weekend. Right now, I have number one, come to 24-7, so I'm not doing high school football anymore. And number two, COVID has set in, so I'm not on a campus any Saturdays so far this year. And so Friday is the weirdest day because Friday, you just kind of sit around. I mean, we're working here. Like there's stuff we do on Friday, but it's not nearly the uh, 14, 15 hour day that you would normally be used to if you're working at the local news level. And then I guess maybe the one benefit is since I'm in the office, I go to, I go to the office to watch uh, games on Saturday. I'll go to the gym, then I'll go over to the office. I got six monitors on in front of me. That's normally not the case. Normally, I'm at a game. If I'm at a game, I'm just on the sideline, and you're checking your phone for score updates, but you're not seeing the games. So I would have to get home, and Sunday after church, I would go watch condensed games that were sent to me. And so I would try to catch up on what I missed the day before. Well, now, I guess that's one added benefit. I'm able to watch all the games live. So that wasn't the case in the past, but I would still much prefer it to be with the in-person experience, and I'll catch the rest tomorrow. Next up, technically this is Brock's question, but a lot of you asked it, and it's simply this. Tell me if you've heard this before. Is an undefeated Pac-12 champion, when you say it, you really mean Oregon, most of you do, is is a 7-0 Oregon, is that going to be good enough for them to make the college football playoff? I'll tell you why that answer is not as clear-cut as you think it is right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, so Brock and his army of people have asked in not so many words, 
Oregon, if they're seven and zero, can they make the playoff? So this fits for USC. It fits for anyone else. Southern Cal, what a come from behind win in week one, by the way. So um, the assumption is no. That's the assumption from a lot of folks. But I want to caution you. This is also under the assumption that everyone's just playing a full slate. Well, now this has finally started to hit home for a lot of you that that's not realistic. It's not realistic just because if you look at Alabama's schedule and it has 10 games on their schedule, plus you presume an SEC championship game, which would be 11, you assume, or you're going to have an Alabama with 11 games. Maybe they're 11-0, maybe they're 10-1. and And how are you justifying measuring them against a 7-0 Pac-12? Well, that's if everyone plays their games. It doesn't look like anyone is going to be playing their games. So now, luckily, we're recording this Thursday instead of Tuesday because now we know something we didn't know then. We suspected it, but we didn't know it. We know that Ohio State is not playing this Saturday. We know Alabama is not playing this Saturday. Ironically, I think Oregon is, as of this point, playing this Saturday. But the point is, we don't know how many games any of those contending teams are going to end up having under their belt. So if you were to be able to magically tell me we're going to be measuring a 7-0 and team like Oregon against, let's just for the sake of argument, say a 9-1 and Texas A&M. Well, then you got some serious discussions to have. And then you have the merit of an undefeated conference champ versus a non-conference champ, but one that played two more games or three more games. Oh, and by the way, their only loss was to the conference champion. Then you can start having all those discussions. But I don't know how this entire playoff picture is going to work out to begin with. It will work itself out. I'm just saying we always love to start asking these questions in September, October, or in this case, uh, on a different timetable, November. But most of the time, the events that are going to most heavily impact the playoff haven't even happened yet. And mark my words, it's the exact same this year. We are, I'm recording right now, it's the morning of November 12th, the year of our Lord, 2020. And a lot of folks are talking about the playoff and, oh, well, now, what is it going to be Clemson and Notre Dame in the playoff? Is it going to be Clemson, Notre Dame, Alabama, Florida? Are we going to have sort of an all-SEC, all-SEC? Well, how do you make room for Ohio State? Well, clearly, you're not going to leave Ohio State out. Listen, the whole point is, it's pointless at this point. It's pointless. I said point like nine times in that sentence, and I just wanted to really poignantly say, don't waste your time. There is no skill in doing this right now. The events that will have the biggest impact on the outcome of the college football playoff haven't even happened yet. They're still to come. They're still down the road. You're driving down I-24, trying to get back home to Georgia, and you see road work ahead. And that could mean many different things in the state of Tennessee right now. So you see that road work ahead. It may mean there's a pothole that's getting fixed, or you may take about seven hours to get from here to Chattanooga. Whatever the case may be, the things that are going to most directly impact your trip home are not in your rearview mirror. They're not even right there in your immediate line of sight. They are down the road a little ways. College football playoffs the same way. David is next up. He had a good one. He said, let's say you get your hands on a time machine. What moments in college football history would you have wanted to witness in person the most prior to your existence? I always have said I'd love to go back to Legion Field in Birmingham, 1970. I think it was the season opener. It was very early in the year. Southern Cal played Alabama. That was the Sam Cunningham game. And um, a lot has been made of that game since then. It was it was a big, big deal in the South because it was a black tailback who came down here and ran all over Alabama. 
And it was a time where a lot of change was in the immediate future of Alabama. Some people think that may have expedited it a lot. I tend to agree. Later down the road, that's been sort of romanticized as, well, Bear intentionally scheduled a loss to jog some people and wake them up to see that change was needed. I've always wondered, regardless of how much that's been romanticized, I would love to have been there that day. And number one, I would just like to take in the environment of a game that I've only seen on old school, like VHS tape, and that probably got transferred from some even older technology. But number two, I'd love to feel what it was like that day. Because every time that you talk about that game now, it's spoken about with such reverence. Oh, that was the day Sam Cunningham changed the SEC, changed the course of history for Alabama and Bryant. But what did it feel like when you were driving home that day? Because I can tell you personally, whether it was the 2016 championship game, we were there for that one in Tampa. Clemson wins it with one second to go. I remember driving back up 75 really, really late that night. And I was talking to a buddy who was a chief meteorologist at the time who somehow I got credentialed to the game. And we were talking and we were saying, we just saw something historic. Like, you don't have to wait 50 years for the documentaries to come out. We know we just stood on the field right here and Hunter Renfro, 10 yards away from us, caught a pass with one second to go and Clemson won a title. That's historic. A year later, wasn't it? Yeah, a year later, standing in the end zone as Devontae Smith catches second 26 from Tuatonga Vailoa. You know in the immediacy, you just witnessed history. You may have witnessed the greatest ending in the history of college football, given, number one, the circumstances, and number two, the ramifications. You may have just witnessed all-time history. You know that. Well, I've watched the documentaries about the Sam Cunningham game, and I've, I've listened to folks who are now very elderly, who were in the stands that day, and they've talked about how historic it was. I just wonder, on the ride home, did it feel that day like I felt driving home from those two games that I just mentioned? Did it feel that way? Or did it take a little while to understand the impact that that game had? So I've always wondered that. I think a lot of people may go to like the Doug Flutie game or maybe pick a Herschel Walker or Bo Jackson, something like that. I've always wondered about that game. Jake is next up. Jake asked, as I'm recording, which by the way is ridiculously early in the morning. Jake, I don't know if Jake's been to bed yet and I don't know what in the world he's influenced by. He asked, yo, bro, what do you eat post-workout? Excuse me, excuse me. You know what? Let me read it in a more authentic manner. Yo, bro, what you eat post-workout? Jake, you might as well be related to me, first off. Secondly, I have switched this. I'm glad you asked, as it turns out. I've made a switch in the past month. Normally, I eat a rotisserie chicken immediately after I work out. But I have stopped doing that because where I go right now, and I'm not disclosing that because I know you guys, I'm not disclosing that, but where I go right now, it is conveniently close to a Smoothie King. So I go by there one day because I'm in a rush. Actually, what I was doing was I was working out and I was going to drive all the way home. So I, I don't, I don't want to be eating chicken out of my passenger seat. So what I did was I went to Smoothie King. I was just going to get me a... So I grabbed one. I just kind of closed my eyes and pointed and said, give me that one. Hadn't been to Smoothie King in like a decade. Last time I was going to Smoothie King regularly, I ended up dating a girl who was the cashier there. So I just, I thought it was time for a little break. Well, it was time to pick it back up. So I got what I got and it was really good. And I've been going there every day since then. And I've been, and they have not paid me to say this. I've been getting the, I think it's called coffee high protein, which to me are two of the best things in the world. And you just combine them. And so I've been getting that and it's really filling and it wakes you up. And it also gives you the adequate amount of protein. 
And added benefit, you know, circle of life deal here. You allow one more little chicken a stay of execution who otherwise would have had to be led to the slaughter in order to fulfill your nutritional needs. Which is a lie because I ate the chicken later that night anyway. So scratch the last part there. But the first part, the endorsement of Smoothie King, I, I believe in coffee high protein. Big fan of that. As long as you take the almond milk option and not whatever the other one is, because I'm not attesting to it because I haven't tried it. I'm just saying I don't think it could taste better than the way I get it with the almond option. We got one from Valhalla24 here. He says, how does the public change a point spread? If a line opens at minus seven but finishes the week at minus 10, does it require a percentage of public plays or is it about how much money is put on the team? Uh, the amount of plays is largely irrelevant here. If you're moving a line, you're talking about the handle. You're talking about the split, in other words, the cash split. And if you're 70-30 favorite on a team, then yeah, maybe you want to even that out a little bit. But I also want to tell you this. There's a lot more that goes into line moves than just that. And anyone out there, like when your Uncle Freddie, who doesn't bet, but likes to think that he's the smartest guy in the room, when he tells you, well, you know, all a point spread really is is just Vegas trying to get equal action on both sides. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's not. Because let me tell you something. Uh, odds makers know full well, or at least they can guess to a large degree of certainty where the cash is coming in on a line when they put it out. And yet sometimes they'll put it out there anyway. Perfect example. And we ended up being on the wrong side of this one, by the way. They put out Michigan minus three at Indiana last week. You don't think they knew a bunch of cash and probably a majority of tickets wasn't coming in on Michigan? Do you really think they thought they were going to get a flood of Indiana money? Also, you think they didn't know they could have easily put out Michigan minus five and a half and probably gotten the same action. Yet they put out Michigan minus three. Why was that? They don't mind taking some lopsided action every now and then, as long as it's lopsided on the side they want it to be lopsided on. That's fine, because contrary to popular belief out there, odds makers have an opinion on games too. Now, they're not the ones wagering, okay? That's up to you. But they have opinions on games too. And so occasionally, they'll allow theirs to be injected. I had a buddy uh, who does not anymore, but back in the day, kind of lived on the periphery of this world. And so he'd always laugh because back then I had not really bet a whole lot. I mean, I was in high school, so fortunately I hadn't bet a whole lot. And I would repeat that old tire cliche of, well, point spreads don't tell you anything. It just It's Vegas trying to get equal money both sides, and they'll take the VIG and be happy with it. And he said, okay, but you keep believing that. Sometimes that's true. In the NFL, most of the time that's true. But sometimes in the college game, the handle is really not consequential enough to sink them one way or the other. They'll have a little fun with it sometimes, just like you do. So keep that in mind. Oh, by the way, Eastern Michigan plus nine last night, ka for us. First time that we've gone maction. And uh, I don't, I tread those waters very carefully because of what happened in the Western Michigan game later last night. If you didn't stay up for that, my goodness. You know what? If you took Toledo, don't go watch the final because that final score, it affected the side. Whether you had plus one, minus one, minus three, it affected the side. So it was ugly or beautiful depending on where you were. I have got to wrap this up because I've got to number one, get to a meeting, and number two, got to get ready for Late Kick Live tonight. I hope you'll join us on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Also, if you haven't, quick reminder on the front end and back end, leave us a five-star review. Want to get to 1,000? It is very, very much appreciated. I'm Josh Pate for Jordan and Tani on the editing side of this operation. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day, and God bless. God bless.